spirit of Christmas. Everyone's heard of A Christmas Carol. Even if you've not read the novel, you'll know the story. A miserable old man visited by three ghosts who show him Christmas past, Christmas present and Christmas yet to come. He mends his ways and learns to love his fellow man. Well, this is not his story. But it is the story of those ghosts, or spirits, as they're named in the novel. What happened to them when they weren't haunting Ebenezer Scrooge? I'll tell you. It was an easy life if you were the spirit of Christmas past. Think of all the Christmases there have been. They always had a party to go to somewhere in history. For them, it really was Christmas every day. So when not called upon to haunt old misers, the spirit of Christmas past disappeared into a distant age and had their fill of turkey and stuffing. And then there was the spirit of Christmas yet to come. They had even more Christmas days to spend their time in, millennia after millennia of them. As soon as they were done haunting, they could zoom forward a thousand years and spend Christmas on the moon. Though, truth be told, it wasn't all it was cracked up to be. There wasn't much atmosphere. But spare a thought for the spirit of Christmas present. He could only exist in the here and now. And that meant on the other 364 days of the year, he didn't have much to do. But spirits as all ghost stories tell us, are restless. So, the spirit of Christmas present set out to find a new holiday to haunt. First, he tried his hand at Valentine's Day. Cupid was glad of the help, because it was very tiring on the arms, firing love arrows at people to make them fall in love all day long, and flying through the air for hours on end didn't half make his toker rich. The spirit of Christmas took up the bow and arrow, assured Cupid he had everything in hand, and then set to work. Two days later, Cupid called him back into his office, and the little cherub looked anything but angelic. What the heck have you done? Cupid shouted as the spirit sat down. I thought it was going rather well, said the spirit innocently. Well, Cupid exclaimed. They're all out there wearing Christmas jumpers. Well, it is February, the spirit reasoned. It is rather chilly out there. So I attached a jumper to each arrow before I fired it. And now they look ridiculous, fumed Cupid. What's more, because love is eternal, they won't take them off. Is that so bad? asked the spirit. They've all got B.O., Cupid squealed. Ah, said the spirit, <laughs> I hadn't thought of that. And with that, Cupid sent him on his way. Next, he tried his hand at Easter. The Easter bunny couldn't have been more thrilled. Imagine having to hide all of those eggs in one night, ready for children to go out hunting for them on Easter morning. She'd given the spirit an enormous basket of eggs and then set him to work, secreting them around the gardens of a village. Two days later, the Easter Bunny called him back into her office and the little rabbit looked anything but cuddly. I gave you one job, she said sternly as the spirit took a seat. 
and you made a right hash of it, didn't you? I, I don't know what you mean, replied the spirit. Really? asked the bunny. You were supposed to be handing out chocolate eggs. Yes, said the spirit, but... But you thought it would be a good idea to hide Brussels sprouts everywhere. What in the name of sanity possessed you? Well, it's just that there are so many left over after Christmas, said the spirit. I thought if I could get more people interested in them earlier in the year, then fewer people would go to waste to come January. The bunny paused and tried to take this logic in. And the chocolate? The spirit answered with a belch. I didn't want that to go to waste either. Well, thanks to you, everybody's angry that they've missed out on their chocolate. And all those sprouts have made them... I won't say what, but suffice to say it's not exactly fragrant out there at the minute. With that, the Easter Bunny sent him on his way. Next, he tried his hand at May Day. The May Queen had heard all about what had happened on Valentine's Day and at Easter, but she was dedicated to the spirit of rebirth and second chances, and so tasked him with organising a few festivities across the home counties. The spirit dived into the job with a plum, a plum and a set of earplugs, because the Morris dancing got a bit much after a while. Two days later, the May Queen called him back into her office, and the monarch looked anything but merry. Tinsel, she spat as she poured him some nettle tea. You replaced the ribbons on the maypole with tinsel? Yes, said the spirit. I thought it might be a bit more... He hesitated over the end of his sentence. Go on, insisted the May Queen, sliding his teacup to him across the table. A bit more festive, said the spirit, taking one look at the tea and thinking better of it. Festive? That's what Christmas is for, she cried. You've got your own holiday. Why don't you stick to it? Because it only comes once a year, explained the spirit. What do I do the rest of the time? Prepare, said the May Queen. It's all the same for all of us. Spend a year planning for the next event. The spirit of Christmas yet to come deals with that, said the spirit. And the spirit of Christmas past mops up after the last one. I just... wait. Yes. Yes, I'm sorry about that, said the May Queen apologetically. But all the same, you can't keep trying to turn all the other holidays into Christmas. I didn't mean to, said the spirit. It just sort of happened. And with that, the May Queen sent him on his way. Over the next few months, he had disaster after disaster. He spent midsummer with the fairy Robin Goodfellow, but got sent away when he accidentally made it snow in June. He spent a week or two with the Tooth Fairy, but she didn't like him leaving puddings under people's pillows instead of coins. He spent the Harvest Festival with Mother Nature herself, but when he replaced the Horn of Plenty with a massive Christmas stocking, she ordered him away. He spent Halloween with Jack-o'-lantern, but that went awry when he got everyone handing out satsumas instead of sweets. The Tooth Fairy wasn't pleased with that one either. And so, 
Winter slowly began to arrive, and the spirit of Christmas found himself alone, sitting on top of a hill, overlooking a town somewhere in the countryside. He started to cry. He'd tried to help with every holiday he could think of, and he'd made a mess of all of them. All that was left to do was to weep. I've been looking for you, said a warm, friendly voice some minutes later. The spirit looked up and gasped. Standing before him was the man who controlled the passing of the years, old Father Time himself. He'd watches in every pocket and strapped the length of each arm. On his head was a top hat, within which sat a magnificent hourglass of shifting sand. May I sit down? the man asked. Of course, answered the spirit. I'm told you're at something of a loose end, old chap, said Father Time. The spirit looked down at his feet. I just don't know what I'm supposed to do the rest of the year, he said sadly. I'm useful for one day, and then the rest of the time I, I can't fit in anywhere. Allow me to let you in to a little secret, smiled Father Time, with an almost conspiratorial air. Some things are worth waiting for. Those people down there? He indicated the town in the distance. Throughout all those other holidays, they still harbour Christmas in their hearts, every day of the year. But what am I supposed to do? asked the spirit. That's simple, said Father Time. Keep the embers glowing until the new fire grows within them. With that, the old man began to fade from view. Ah, he said cheerfully, I appear to be running late. Or perhaps I'm early. Never one thing or the other when you're me. He could see the spirit before him was still unsure of what to do. Go to them, he said, and know them better, man. They'll never see you, but speak to them, and they'll hear. Oh yes, they'll hear. And with that, he was gone. That very night, the spirit walked the streets of the town. As Father Time had told him, nobody paid him any attention. He wandered up and down the roads, looking at each person in turn. Some seemed happy, but so many seemed sad. He saw a woman walking slowly along, weighed down by the world. He walked alongside her for a while, and then, when she stopped for a breath, he whispered in her ear, Soon be Christmas. He moved away and watched as the woman's face reacted to the words. The great weight upon her looked to have lifted ever so slightly. Not completely, but enough. A smile crossed her lips. She stood up straight, lifted her chin and walked away. He was right, thought the spirit. All they need is the promise. And so he set to work. The spirit of Christmas yet to come could take care of the planning. The spirit of Christmas past could wallow in nostalgia. But he would do something more worthwhile. 
He walked the world and promised one and all that no matter how dark the world seemed, there would always be the light of Christmas Day to look forward to. And for the spirit of Christmas present, that was more than enough. on ice. Now, you may well have heard of old Ma Mallard and her flock. They patrol the Aylesbury arm of the Grand Union Canal, keeping order and lending a wing to anyone in need of help. Today's story is the tale of how one member of Ma's flock became an unlikely sporting star. At this time of year, as the weather turns wintry, a transformation occurs at the canal. On the coldest days, it becomes a winter wonderland. The narrow boats are coated in a delicate layer of frost. The grass and hedgerows and trees are covered in glittering crystal dew. But, best of all, the ribbon of water becomes a great sliver of ice. See, the canal often freezes over during the winter. It's never a good idea to step on it if you're a great big human because the ice is never very thick. But you may have seen the odd duck pid padding across the surface. What you won't have seen, because it only happens at night when humans have gone to sleep, is what happens when the ducks decide to go ice skating. It was the perfect winter's night, not a cloud in the sky to hide the dazzling full moon. Ducks of all shapes and sizes were skidding about on the impromptu ice rink. Some would race one another, others would perform carefully choreographed routines. A few would simply wrap their wings around one another and take a leisurely skate in the moonlight. As ever, it fell to Ma and her flock to ensure all were safe and well. Ma was a tough old mallard, older than any of the other creatures of the canal could imagine, who made it her business to quietly patrol, checking that no one strayed to where the ice had worn too thin. Ma's fixer, a moorhen named Harriet, or Harry for short, was on first aid duty. As the ducks arrived to begin the night skating, Harry handed out crash helmets made of coconuts and leg guards made of acorn shells. Whenever there was a tumble, Harry flew into action to check for any injuries. Thanks to her protective gear, there was never more than a bump or a bruise. Gordon the Goose, Mars second in command, was a little too heavy for the ice, but he didn't mind. Instead, he looked after the ducklings. He'd fashioned an old road sign he'd found in the canal into a sled. The ducklings would clamber inside and Gordon would hold a length of rope tied to the front of it. Taking flight, he'd glide just above the frozen canal, pulling the sled of delighted ducklings behind him to the sound of their hoops and cheers. The last member of Mars flock, Dave, the tufted duck, had been away when the canal had frozen over, 
He'd been sent on a mission up to Marsworth, relaying special instructions Ma had imparted about the coming winter. It was that very night that Dave returned home, following the course of the canal from way up high. Dave was not the strongest flyer, or the most assured swimmer. He'd gotten much better at both thanks to lessons from Gordon, but the one thing he'd still not mastered was landing. If you've ever seen a duck land on the water of the canal, you'll know it can be a majestic sight. They swoop low, wings spread wide, feet extended beneath them. They hit the water with a splash and a flap and then, nonchalant as you like, they carry on swimming. <laughs> this was not the case with Dave. He'd mastered his positioning, wings wide and legs lowered, but somehow when he finally reached the water, it all went wrong and he'd find himself splashing and thrashing and causing an almighty commotion. He'd been flying since late afternoon and was so focused on remembering Gordon's lessons that he'd not noticed the water beneath him freeze as the night unfurled. As he neared the canal basin, he readied himself for the inevitable landing, wings wide, legs lowered. Down below, Harry had spotted Dave's approach. Oh no, she quacked, realising what he was doing. He ain't seen the ice. Dave, Dave. Dave wasn't listening. Gordon had taught him to channel out all extraneous noise. He was focused. He closed his eyes, held his wings steady, and then began his descent. He felt the air whoosh past him, sensed the trees surrounding him as he dropped from the sky. Then, at the last moment, he opened his eyes and saw the ice. Oh, no! He quacked, flapping frantically to abort the landing. But it was too late. Dave hit the ice. Somewhat miraculously, it didn't break. And even more miraculously, Dave remained upright. His feet landed flat on the surface and his flapping wings stopped him from tumbling over. What was happening? Well, whatever it was, he wasn't about to stop. This might just be his most successful landing yet. The other ducks looked on as he careered along the ice. Still flapping, he found himself spinning round, still managing to keep upright. Once or twice, he rose up into the air again, spinning, only to touch back down onto the ice. Ducks dived out of his way as he passed. Dave was a jittery duck, forever twitching with nervous energy. But here, on the ice, all of that anxiousness became a remarkable acrobatic display. When at last he came to a halt, he found himself in the middle of the canal. All eyes were on him. Silence hung in the air with the moon. And then, applause! The ducks quacked and cheered. They called out congratulations. What a display, one of them said. Best figure skating I've ever seen, cried another. F -f -f figure skating? stammered Dave, his heart pounding. Soon, Ma and Harry were by his side, whilst Gordon appeared on the towpath nearby. I never knew you could skate, Mush, beamed Harry. Oh, neither did I, quacked Dave. He looked over at Ma. Well, I've seen my share of ice dancers, grinned the wise old mallard. 
but that was the best of the lot. Really? Dave cried. He was thrilled. I got it right! More than right, Harry replied. You was perfect, in fact. Her eyes trailed away to a sign on the towpath. The other ducks followed. It was a colourful poster with big blue letters. Ice skating competition tomorrow. No! gasped Dave, realising what Harry was suggesting. Ah, I can't! With a performance like that, said Gordon, nodding to where Dave's landing had taken place, you'll be the one to beat. Dave once again looked to Ma for guidance. Hey, go to it, duck, she smiled. Don't you worry, Harry will show you. The following morning, when the canal was still frozen, Harry and Dave met under one of the canal bridges where the inquiring eyes of humans wouldn't spot them. They began a full day of dance lessons. Harry turned out to be a very demanding teacher. She'd been a very adept ice skater when she was a duckling and she expected a high standard from her students. Arabesque! she'd shout as Dave skidded about on the ice. Now, pliez, relevez, pas de bourré. Dave simply tumbled around on the ice until at last he slid across it on his face, arriving at Harry's feet. This isn't going to work, he wheezed. No, Harry frowned. No, it ain't. We could be in trouble here, Mush. Can't I just pull out of the competition? He asked. No, you flapping can't, she protested. I've got money riding on you. Kinko's been taking bets on the winner. Really? Dave asked as he got back to his feet. Oh, what are my odds? Well, Harry replied a little guiltily. There's, there's a few folks reckon last night was just a fluke, so... Yes, asked Dave, hopefully. Oh, he's got you down for 300 to 1, Harry confessed. But that's awful, quacked Dave. <laughs> Not if you win it won't be, insisted Harry. Think how big Christmas lunch will be this year if you get first place. Oh, we'll have indigestion till... Oh, till Easter. But it was a fluke, Dave wailed. We've been at this all day and I'm useless. Harry put a wing round him. Look, she began. Look, think back to last night. How did it all happen? Talk me through it. Well, Dave recalled. First, I cleared my mind for landing, like Gordon taught me. Yeah. Then I readied myself and followed the procedure. Yeah. And then I panicked. Right. Well, you panic quite a lot, so that shouldn't be too hard, Harry concluded. No, I mean, it was a surprise, Dave explained. When I saw the ice, I mean, I think I, think I need a shock to make me dance well. Harry lifted a wing and tapped her beak. A shock, you say? You leave it with me, Mush. The top prize is ours for the taking. That night, 
The rest of the ducks gathered to watch the competition. There were solo performances, couples dancing, and even a few synchronized displays by entire flocks. The dances were scored by a quartet of cats who'd ventured from their homes to offer judgment. They didn't need much convincing. They were cats after all. Ma and Gordon stood on the towpath as the final performance approached. It was Dave's turn. They watched as he waddled out onto the ice. Silence fell. Why isn't he dancing, Ma? asked Gordon. I don't know, Duck, she replied. Come to think of it, where's Harry? Harry was in the bushes ready to enact the plan. She watched Dave get into position. She couldn't tell him what the exact details of the scheme were, otherwise it wouldn't be a shock. But he knew something would happen. He'd agreed to a shock, and the moment had come. Harry placed a pair of ear defenders on her head and then slowly picked up her air horn. Dave stood on the ice clearing his mind the way Gordon had shown him. He was calm and he was still. All that remained now was to... Dave shot into the air. The sudden scream of the horn had done the trick. He felt the tremors of tension rippling through him. All thought of dancing left him and he panicked. He landed back on the ice, his wings flapping furiously. He skidded this way and that, jumping and bobbing and hopping and spinning. The towpath was a blur. He'd lost all sense of up and down or left and right. He felt the cold ice tinkle beneath his webbed feet, felt the biting winter air swirl around his wings, and then, as suddenly as he began, he came to a halt. He was standing on one leg. The other stretched out behind him. One wing was resting on it, the other was raised up in the air. It was the perfect arabesque. Applause erupted from the towpath, none louder than Gordon, Ma and Harry, who'd snuck back out of the bushes to join her friends. Well done, Dave, called Gordon. Go on, my son, yelled Harry. Why are you wearing ear defenders, asked Ma. Harry quickly removed them. Dave collapsed with exhaustion and then looked over at the judges. The leaderboard beside them showed the top score of 39 out of 40 for a group of synchronised herons. Oh, this was going to be impossible. The panel of four cats looked placid, giving nothing away. They shuffled the scoring paddles in their paws and then one by one lifted them. Ten came the first. Ten, said the second. Ten, agreed the third. And then the last cat paused, savouring the moment. It raised its paddle, which said, Ten! An almighty roar 
sounded from the towpath as the competition came to an end. At the same time, a great howl of anguish sounded from Kincaid the Otter, regretting his brief venture as a bookmaker. Dave staggered over to the towpath where Gordon lifted him up and held him high in the air. The cheering continued and Dave looked down at Harry who winked at him. Got there, didn't we? She called over the holler of the crowd. Things always work out the right way when you do what you do best. Merry Christmas, Mush! Merry Christmas, indeed. <laughs>